Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome back to the Roper Report Extra podcast. It's obviously a little extra one for the preview show this week because we've got Villa midweek. Used to be a premiership fixture back in the day. Uh, kind of isn't now, especially with us sitting bottom of the championship. But Villa were doing all right. Um, but before we get onto that, oh, what about Saturday? I'm not sure how I feel about that. It was kind of all right, wasn't it? But I don't think draws are going to be doing us much good going forward, to be honest. As, like I said on the last podcast, we've got... All these games are cup finals and I think three points need to start getting picked up. But we've got a pretty stern test on Tuesday, tomorrow as it is, or today if you're listening, um, against Villa who have probably below expectations of what I thought they would be, but still third off top. And in reference to that, obviously I've got my guest today, which is James from the 7500 to Holt. Is that correct? Yeah, that's fine, mate. Um, yeah, we have done all right i guess i expected to be a bit higher a bit more confident but i guess you can't moan about third at all no not at all mate and i think um you know especially if you're in our situation as well but um obviously the first thing i wanted to sort of chat about and go straight into there's there's a lot of stuff i could speak about with villa um we could mention your wonderful day that you relegated the scum we could talk about steve bruce we could talk about lewis graben but before we begin I think it's probably worth looking at your summer recruits. I'm, I'm quite interested and intrigued to see how they've done. I've got a little list here. I mean, I remember most of them off, off the top of my head because you sound some br- pretty big, well-known players. You had Glenn Whelan that came in. You had John Terry. You had uh, Josh Onomar. You've got, obviously, Grabbins came in, Sam Johnson, Snodgrass, and then um, <laughs> Elmo. Um, but <laughs> the less about that, said the better. I'm not the biggest fan of Elmo. But how have your summer transfer signings done? Who's been the best? Um, without a doubt. I think it, the easy and popular answer would be John Terry. Um, of course, Captain Lee, the legend, all that. Um, off the pitch, <laughs> you will leave the off the pitch stuff or you know, even the on the pitch stuff. That's uh, another <laughs> day. Uh, but Robert Snodgrass, mate, um, bag of fun, wind-up merchant, absolute, you know, he's a, he's a clown. Um, but he's he's coming so, so big for us this season and can't be underestimated the impact he's had. That left foot he has, it's almost, it's a wizardry. The things that he can do, and I mean, I say that as you know, a club in the championship, and it seems a bit embarrassing when you're watching like Barcelona on Sky Sports on the weekend. But it seems like Snodgrass is a <laughs> hell of a player, and he's the type of player that brings joy to you because he'll win the fouls, he'll smile, he'll have a cheeky laugh, he'll uh, wind up the away fans, um, score goals, bag the points, go home, and he won't care. Um, I love, I do love him. Um, but John Terry, of course, has been uh, amazing. He's had a few poor games recently. 
Um, so we've, you know, I've got the benefit of hindsight and stuff, and the, all the recent stuff he's done. I have to go for Robert Snodgrass, who's really pulled out of the bag for us this season. I think Snodgrass was someone that that we were interested in. He kind of like my, my heart shattered a little bit there because the one thing that Sunderland are really missing, if I'm honest, um, yeah, a little bit of quality, probably a little bit of leadership right from the top, but character. And I think that's one thing I noticed with Snodgrass is that he brings a boatload of talent and character to the club. Um, and we were obviously linked to him when Grayson was here, right before sort of you went to yourselves. But I mean, if you rewind back sort of a year ago with Snodgrass, he was, you know, a well thought of Premiership player. I suppose he just made the wrong move and going to West Ham. So he's from from what you're telling me, it sounds like he's shown his Premiership quality. Then I take it, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think if you go back before he went to West Ham uh, when he was at Hull, he was really, really good. Um, he could, he, you know, he was banging in the goals for Hull in the Premier League. Um, uh, under Marco Silva, I think he would have been been amazing. Uh, even then, I don't know if he'd have got on with Marco Silva. But he went to West Ham, and it, it really didn't turn out well for him. And I don't know if you've seen, he's had high profile spats with the West Ham chairman whilst he's been yeah. at Villa over Twitter. So I do think there's a, a small chance he could go back, um, but I don't think it's likely, especially if Villa go up. I think he he's really settled in well here, and I, I think. Any club that went in for him and didn't get him, it would be, it's poorer without him. Shame with Sheffield Wednesday, who uh, actually wished Snodgrass death threats after his performance, <laughs> and when he, he he was uh, he, he was majestic against them to say once to say the least. Um, yeah, so they they were in for him and they ended up wishing him death threats. So you can see how that's going to go. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing player. Really enjoying him. And what, what about, obviously, the experience that you brought in? I suppose you've got Glenn Whelan there, 33, John Terry, obviously, 36, you've mentioned. But you've got a few the younger boys that have came in as well. I mean, you've got Sam Johnson. You've got, um, I can't pronounce his name, but the boy from Manchester United. I don't know if he's played very much, but Josh Onomar as well. Are they kind of older heads and the, and the younger heads kind of spearhead, spearheading this sort of charge towards promotion? And is it, they're looking after each other? Yeah, definitely. And uh, it doesn't seem like there's much of a gap between them because you'll see Sam Johnson telling off John Terry quite a lot. And that, that's quite incredible to see from a 25-year-old keeper who's barely had one senior season in football yeah. outside Manchester United. He's been at Yeovil, Preston and Villa twice. And he's shouting at John Terry to shape up. Um, I think it's amazing to see the dynamics that they've all brought to Aston Villa because these players have been brought in not just because of their technical qualities or their physical qualities. It's been brought because they're they're good people. They're decent lads, and they know what they're doing. And they're not here, you know, to earn eighty grand a week and have a laugh and a joke. Like, um, you know, that happens at clubs. That you know, you're 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 signing a player, give them loads of money, they don't turn out right, and you're stuck with them for years. We've we've had that problem. I'm sure you've got that problem, and we've hired players who seem to be the right type of person. And I know that sounds very cliche, but when you're looking at people like John Terry, Glenn Whelan, Almo for example, and Sam Johnson, they're all professionals and they're, they're, they've really rubbed off well on the Villa squad. A Villa squad that included Jack Grealish, who is quite, you know, if you haven't been following Villa since yeah. they're relegated, Jack Grealish is someone easy to write off as, you know, gets drunk all the time, wasting his talent, this, you know, this and that, and that, you know, those are valid criticisms. But since John Terry and all these professionals have come in, he's been nothing but that professional. So they've really rubbed off well and I think it's worked out brilliantly for us so far. I think John Terry's one of those players. I mean, I'll openly admit, I can't stand him. He's, he's everything I hate. And, oh, no, and- yeah, I completely agree. 
<laughs> like, it's just like, when he's playing for your club, it's all right almost. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's like, I don't want to say Lee Catamore because he had a poor season, but it's like a lot of people have this opinion of Catamore, but, you know, he, he's a bastard, but he's ours. Um, he's our bastard sort of thing. Yeah. And I think the only thing I remember about John Terry is that the simple fact that last season we had to do like some sort of guard of honour because of bloody David Moyes as he went off on like the 26th minute or something like that, because we played Chelsea in the last game of our season, got beat 5-1, and we agreed to kick the ball out so we could give him some sort of bloody guard of honour, both Chelsea and Sunderland fans. And it just, oh, oh, it makes me sick. That's weird. Um, that was uh, incredibly strange, I will admit. I'm not sure why that happened or why it was agreed to happen. But there you go. I think because David Moyes just, you know, he, he didn't see Sunderland as anything that was worthy of doing anything less than that. Like I think Moyes was just, you never wanted to be here long story short. And I think my, my opinions on David Moyes and many people's opinions on David Moyes has been well aired. So uh, yeah, but, but John Terry, as you said, you know, if he's playing for you, it's very different, but you know, alongside all of that character that he has, that people tend to not like, it sounds like he, cause he's the captain at Villa now, right? I assume so. Yeah. Yeah. He replaced James Chester. He came in, you know, you can't not make him John Terry captain, I guess. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. And I think it's it's weird because, you know, we talk about John Terry if he plays for your club. and But I, I was quite invested in England around the time that he was sort of coming through. It's very much changed nowadays. I'm not massively fussed on England, despite living in Scotland, which, you know, can sometimes give me a bit of stick. Um, but when it comes down to John Terry, obviously, he was always consistently England's best defender. And he was always someone you could rely on, someone with a voice, someone with a little bit of... <laughs> He thinks something of himself because he is quite a good player and he is obviously good to have on the pitch. Now, if you look on the, the reverse side of us, our version of John Terry is probably John O'Shea, which over the past few seasons like a perpetual loser, essentially. And I, don't, I know that might be quite harsh, but you know we've been poor pretty much since he's came in since the beginning. So having someone like John Terry in your team as a, an absolute leader, obviously, is, is all good and you know. And, and whatnot with his, his vocal side of things, especially like we have that with John O'Shea. But how much of his playing ability has he lost? Has any of his pace gone or anything like that? Was he just as good as he always was? Well, the pace is, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not there. I won't lie to you guys. It's 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 not there at all. Mm-hmm. I think he makes up for that with just pure intelligence, being able to read the game. It's probably, yeah. his, he, he will get duped quite easily. And that doesn't mean he's not smart, but it means that he thinks that he can make, you know, the gap, and he won't. He'll 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 go missing. He'll run for a ball and not be able to make it because his pace isn't there. And that's you know just a reflection on how he used to be, rather than him being stupid. You know we've seen too many defenders rush up the the pitch to get a ball they know they can't get. But I think uh, John Terry two years ago probably would have made it, made that challenge. But John Terry now probably not. Um, that being said, he he does put in some great tackles. He is all you know. I don't think he's picked up many yellow cards at all for Villa. And I think that's a reflection on him because you see players like James Chester, Alan Hutton lead off the ball, um, get get into a bit of a scrap, fall over, you know, drag people down, make up for mistakes by being a bit physical and getting yellow cards. John Terry, for some reason, is uh, one of the cleanest players in our team and he's a, he's a really true professional at the back. But yeah, reading the game makes up for a lot of what he's lost in terms of the pace. I will look for the ball over the top against the pair of them because James Chester, obviously being a bit younger, has to do a lot of covering for John yeah. Terry. It's only natural if you've got an older centre-back, you're going to pair him usually with a younger one to do just that. And so I do look for the ball over the top to kind of 
almost split Villa's defence diagonally and make that make them just ask the questions of them. I think really is what Sunderland will, you know, what you have to aim for is just ask the questions because they have been shaky. They have been brought at Sheffield Wednesday were all over us the other day. You know, they would have been through on goal with a break after break if John Terry wasn't putting in these last minute stops. So you'll have to ask the questions of the pair of them, really. And I'm obviously looking at other signings as well. One, one name that really surprised me, but I, it, well, it didn't surprise me that he went to Villa with Steve Bruce being the manager because he seems to take him wherever he goes. But uh, Elmo or El Mohamedy, uh, he, he really didn't. He really didn't go down too well at Sunderland, and you know there'll be people that did like him, but essentially he just didn't really work. How's he been at Villa? He's been all right. Um, a solid six out of ten. He really is putting a bug. You know, he's bagging assists for us. I will be honest with that, mm-hmm. and he. He really does have a partnership with Robert Snodgrass that will put him in that right-back position above people like Axel Twanzebe, who's obviously on loan from Manchester United, or James Bree, who we bought from Barnsley, you know, Man City are after him. Yeah. And Almo has come above all these, and Almo's actually put Alan Hutton out at left-back. So, <laughs> yeah, he's really, really took that spot for his, for his own. And it, he was out. He, he, he does get rotated in and out, but he... he and that says it all. He hasn't really made that position his own until a situation happens where he, he's just there and yeah. he's the man who can't be. Re- it's it's weird <clears throat> because he's not the best performer. You you guys will know. Yeah, will know. Well. He's not the best performer. <laughs> he's not the best performer, but he seems to be able just to do the right thing at the right time for us at the moment. I think he might just be in a little bit of good form. That's keeping us going because he does have a good partnership with Snodgrass. It is working well for him. And he, he really does have a good cross on him. And I'll give him that. A deep cross, an early cross uh, into into um, Hogan is usually what grabs us a goal. So I won't fault him too much. Um, we've only had him for, you know, just under a season. We only yeah. signed him in the summer. So yeah, the, the jury's still out on Alma, to be fair. I, I won't judge him too harshly. I think you guys had him for a few seasons. So, you you know, and obviously it, it hasn't been going well at Sunderland for a few, few seasons. So players aren't going to turn up. Like, you've had Jolie and Lescott. For God's sake, so, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, I do. I have a, I really do have a soft spot for Sunderland, especially due to mutual hatred. Yours more <laughs> so of Newcastle. So, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't, I won't go in on Almo too much. There, there, there has been times when he's went completely missing, but we've had that problem at right back for so long that I can't pick out Almo and fault him for it. To be honest, does he still? Did Steve Bruce still do that thing where he gets your goalkeeper to just launch it at Elmo's head from a goal kick? Or is he too far back now? Because he used to play right wing for us. He was more right wing than right back. Yeah. He used to just get him like pelting. Like it was Simon Minule at the time, I think. Just used to launch these huge long balls. And I mean, it's weird you said that Elmo could put a cross in because I, I can't remember one that he's ever put in that was decent, come to well, think of it, from Sunderland's perspective. Well, but he used to win loads of headers. Yeah, completely. If he's playing at right, you know, right wing, then he's going to be too far up the box, you know, making mistakes. I think it's because he's right back, he can launch a cross in from like the halfway line. So he, he's yeah. got so much more space to do it. Um, he hasn't really played right flank for us much. Um, I think it's two or three times. It's never been a good situation. It's when he's been forced to play there. Um, we'd still do the long ball thing, but it's more so Almo kicking long balls to anyone. You can kind yeah. of find one. So that's the long ball situation for us. Yeah, Sam Johnston, it, he does have a punt on him. So, but yeah, we're not aiming at Alma at all, unfortunately. Well, I'm, like I'm, I'm pleased that Bruce has learned from that. Um, so I suppose, you know, talking about signings and stuff like that, we've gone through some pretty big names there. John Terry being the standout one. Sam Johnson was obviously at Man United. Another player we were linked to, Robert Snodgrass, obviously doing really well. And if you look at Villa as a championship team, I think far and wide, they're probably the most strongest, certainly on paper. So, 
season's expectations going into the league, you had a poor season last season. So, well, not poor, you improved towards the end, but it was a difficult a difficult season. So did that kind of realign your expectations a little bit? Are you are you where you expected to be? Or? Oh, last season was bad. <laughs> Honestly, make no bones about it. It would have been one of our worst seasons on record if it weren't for the fact we were relegated really back poorly <laughs> the season before because we, we didn't turn up at all. And we seem to have this kind of, cocky confidence that would walk the league we had Di Matteo and we were trying to gun teams down with four or five strikers on the pitch at a time Uh, he got sacked Steve Bruce came in and he did really well to be fair at the start and then calamity after calamity happened and we collapsed and we were looking I wouldn't say we're in maybe your position now when we we rock bottom and almost trying to climb out we were looking down over our shoulder and thinking hey teams are picking up points on us and we're looking at those bottom three spots and we've really got to you know, make a fist of this if, we, if we're going to get out of this because it turns into a scrap you'll know that it's, yeah. it's horrible that every, you know, you're looking for every single point you can get and you don't want to do that you want to be able to lose a game and go oh, okay that's a loss we can move forward um, so, so yeah it, last season wasn't good <laughs> at all um, I can happily say and we've improved because it's the attitude that we've been brought that's been brought in and you might think players like John Terry will come in and there'd be this sense that, yeah, you're going to walk the league now. But it's been anything but that. We've took it, you've, we've been really professional and done the job seriously. And there's been barely any flamboyancy in our team this year. We just, I do love creative play, but it was something that was killing us last year. We were trying yeah. to do so much with the ball. And, it, you know, we, we were we were gunning for teams. People like to go on about attacking football loads. We were gunning at teams for 90 minutes, then conceding a last minute goal. And like it wasn't a surprise, and yeah. we've we've really played a lot more smartly this year, and we we do seem very risk, um, cerebral. Almost, we we pick our moments. We're happy to give the ball away. We don't care about possession. We're really happy to just make one killer move and end the match there. And yeah. I'm really proud of how we've kicked on in the last season. Really, yeah. And I think you know, I think in a sense, it's quite easy to probably look at Villa and say. You know, look at who they brought in. They should be doing this well. But I think, you know, we ourselves are, are learning probably even more so than you did last year that you don't just come into this league and win games. I mean, we've won five all season, which is horrific. And, you know, people might say we, we went down in the worst condition in Villa, but I don't think we did. Like, I think we both went down in similar fashion and you had a poorish season last season, as you, you've sort of mentioned. We're probably having a poorer one, but... I mean, if we stood up this season, I can't see us coming back and doing what Villa have done, even with sort of additions on top of that. Um, I mean, we might, I don't know about, I don't think we'll get out of it. But I think it's funny you mentioned before about Brucey having a, a bit of a, a calamity. Um, did uh, did Brucey have one of his mid-season wobbles by any chance? He had a few. <laughs> he had, he's had one this season, to be fair. Um, but yeah, last season he come in and I think we were unbeaten for a, a quite a good stretch. Then we didn't win any games for about 10 or so games. Then we started winning again and we were thinking about playoffs for real. And then we drew against Burton and that ended the season. So yeah, he he did have a wobble. <laughs> he has had a few wobbles and we're hoping that uh, we are not going to experience another one really because it wouldn't, you know, of course it would end the season. I mean, it's very much Steve Bruce territory to do that kind of stuff, and it's funny because obviously Bruce is your manager, so I know I know what he's like. I know what he's I know what his, his chat is and how he likes to change the course of history and what we thought of him. Um, but having Bruce as a manager, 
you know, he he does speak about Sunderland a lot in terms of how we allegedly treat him, and, and it was all because he was a Geordie. And you know, I'll, I'll testify. I don't know anyone who disliked him for being a Geordie right up until the last game when we just wanted him out because he was just terrible. But Brucey has this ability to have. He's, he's quite likable for like a, a couple of a couple of seasons. Um, but obviously, he came into your club in a very different manner. We got him. You know, as as a Geordie, yes, but no one really cared. And I honestly mean that. I, I mean, I don't know anyone who, who went, oh, he's a Geordie. Like, I don't want that. No one really cared. It was like, if he can do the job, fine. And he did all right. But he just had mid-season collapses. And, and this whole this whole story that we wanted rid of him because he was a Geordie is just simply not true. It's just simply not true at all. Um, but when he came into Villa, he was obviously an ex-Birmingham manager. I yeah, can't but- imagine uh, Kevin Keegan coming into Sunderland. Um, no, he's... It's probably Birmingham City's, you know, probably Birmingham City's greatest ever manager, really, for what he's done to, you know, a League One club. Yeah. To a perpetual premiership, championship side, upper, upper tier, to be quite honest. You know, they, not under him, they didn't win the League Cup under him or anything, but he, he made the foundation for them. They're terrible owners, but, you know, of course, the, the people who own West Ham used to own Birmingham City. Um, there wasn't a lot of hype about his appointment. He was an obvious he was the obvious choice. Yeah. Um, almost like Sam Allardyce is when you're struggling in the Premier League. It's like you just turn to that name and it either, you know, it's 50 50, either works or it doesn't. And if they can survive that one season, they might just really kick on. And I guess that's what's happened for Bruce at us. But yeah, I mean, at yours, he was, you know, you can say about the Jody stuff. At ours, you can say about Birmingham City. But I think there is a lot of likability about him because he does take the job at face value. He's a, almost like a very simple man who knows his limitations far too well. And I think I have to kind of applaud him for that because you see managers like Gus Poyer, uh, Remy Gard, Tim Sherwood, especially have absolutely, Alan Pardew, have absolutely no idea of where their job is meant to end. They try and do it all. They try and be the, the jack of all trades. It ends up failing and it ends up damaging the club horrifically. David Moyes is the same. You, yeah. you have these people who think they can boss the entire job. and Managers like Alex Ferguson knew their incredible limitations. They knew that A, they were just a man-major and B, they needed to hire a really good team under them to oversee the day-to-day. And that's a credit to those people who know those limitations. Exactly like Steve Bruce, not comparing him to Ferguson at all, as you'll know, he's uh, nowhere near the calibre of that manager. But he knows his limitations. And I think if that's one thing he's learned from the tutelage of Ferguson, of course, being being a former Fergie man, is that you, you need a good team under you. And, uh, you know, I credit him for doing the job he's done at Villa, really, because we were spiralling. He still has that kind of face that looks like a, a punched cushion, which I find quite funny uh, with Brucey. But, yeah, Brucey has this knack of just a- appearing in a good job and, and doing a good job and then gradually fucking it up over time yes. when he's left him in a, a half-decent position, to be honest. And it was it was a bit of a shame for him, I suppose, at Sunderland. I mean, you know, a lot of it was his own fault and a lot of the the vitriol towards Steve Bruce is the way that he's changed the course of history. And he had a bit of a go with the fans. Like, I remember we... Some, I can't remember exactly what it was. And he said, well, you know, what do you expect? It, this this is Sunderland. And it was just like, yeah, and we're a pretty big club. Like, um, we don't just... I think, I think it was when we got beat 5-1 off Newcastle and he said, like, oh, like I, I can't shake that and so on and so forth. And he just kind of made stuff up and assumed that we disliked him for certain reasons and changed the course of history. But, you know, in reality, if you look at what he did at Sunderland, he probably had the best Sunderland team in the last... Like, the, the premiership years we've just came out of, he probably had the best 
sort of team. He built a great team. He had obviously Darren Bench, who was absolutely dynamite for us. Um, the absolute bastard. Um, and then we also had <clears throat> Jan Welbeck. We, we had a, Henderson, Minnelli. We had a really good side around that period of time. But what really, really damaged him was was actually Darren Bent going to Villa and then uh, Henderson going to Liverpool. And he spent money on like six million on Craig Gardner and Kieran Westwood, Wes Brown, John O'Shea. And he brought in like a raft of players that were just not the same quality as what he'd lost. And then at the same time, we, we went from having... And, and I don't know how much of it was his fault is, is kind of what the point I'm trying to make. Darren Bent obviously went and, you know, he had his reasons. Um, what they may be, I don't know. And I still will never know. Um, Danny Welbeck went back from his loan spell and did really well at Manchester United before going towards Arsenal, having his injury problems. And, and Asmo Jan left and kind of after the transfer window to go and play in Qatar. And we ended up having going from Darren Bent, Danny Welbeck and Asmo Jan, like the Holy Trinity, going towards Nicholas Bentner up front on his own. Um, and he really struggled at that point. And, and we were like, we'd start every game, every season well, and we'd end up in like, I don't know, in the top 10. And then he'd have these like a 13 or 14 games of playing terrible. And we'd end up mid-table. That, that's kind of how his seasons went for us. But he started really badly after that season and he was gone by October time. And yeah, we, we give him some shit in his last game for for being overweight and Geordie um, but it was just the first song that sometimes comes to your head you know football fans are fickle but it was never we never really turned on him until that point and I think that's where the real vitriol came from Steve Bruce it wasn't that we didn't like him from the start we actually were kind of on board he was he was quite funny quite likable I mean one of the most weirdest looking blokes I've ever seen in my life, but kind of half likable. You got you got the northeast, you understood it, being from Newcastle and, and so on and so forth. But it was uh, the vitriol towards Steve Bruce comes more from him changing the course of history as opposed to anything else. And I think that's probably where he'll get quite a rough time tomorrow. But he does have a knack of pulling teams out of the shit and putting them in a decent place. And I think there's only really us he hasn't done it with. But how much of that was his fault? I don't know because I think the Darren Bent thing. I think we both know. That wasn't necessarily Steve Bruce's fault, but um, I see Darren Bent rocked up at Burton now. How? What, what happened at Villa with him? Um, to be honest, the season we bought him from you guys was completely. I think <laughs> it was a, a Darren Bent is someone who's accumulated massive transfer fees for seemingly almost no reason. And I mean, he's a very good player. He's obviously bagged goals for both of our teams. Yeah, but to pay. I think it was twenty-four million. It was what yeah. we paid for him. That. In the time, I think that was 2009 odd. That's insane. That is an insane fee for Darren Bent in any era of time. Um, he really did well for, in, you know, maybe a season or so. I and mean, he saved, there's one season he definitely saved us. And I believe it was the first season he came over because he came over in January. And, you know, that season he saved us completely. Um, then managerial changes happened. Then he didn't really fit into the team. Then Paul Lambert come in. These two Scottish coaches, these old Scottish coaches who were convicted of a like, workplace bullying. They basically made this thing called the Bomb Squad, which is where we chucked Alan Hutton, who's still around. God bless him. Uh, Alan Hutton, Shay Given, Charles and Zogbia, and Darren Bent got chucked in there to play with the under 18s and the under 16s for absolutely no reason. There's, you know, it's a beggar's belief. But that's what happened to Bent at Villa. And uh, he never really made his way back from that. Um, of course, happy to pick up the paycheck and all that, and I don't blame him to be honest. Yeah, but uh, came in, saved the saved the season, scored a few goals. I can't be too mad, but it was a lot of a lot of money to pay to uh, simply postpone relegation, I guess, for five years. 
But um, yeah, we'd have definitely went down. That's a, that's the ironic thing. If we didn't get have Darren Bent, and uh, I don't know if it's uh, I'd make that trade again. I guess. Yeah, I mean that Darren Bent's someone that is just really not well liked on on, on Sunderland. Uh, in the, I don't think anyone really likes him. He was dynamite for us. He was he was literally brilliant. And then out of nowhere, that's where our whole downfall came from. Darren Bent leaving because Steve Bruce never replaced him, and no manager did. Um, when Darren Bent left, we were sixth off top in the Premiership. And then we ended up finishing 10th that season. It was very luckily, very, very luckily, we should have finished about 12th, 13th. But Steve Bruce will remind you that he finished 10th that season and that was our <laughs> highest. He will remind you, trust me, he'll, he'll mention it at some point. <laughs> He's um, like that, isn't he? He's very much like that. Oh, he likes to let you know. And it's, uh, he, always, he always says, for sure, for sure, after that and stuff like that. Oh, that's for sure. Um, and the thing with thing with that season after that period like I said Jan went and Welbeck obviously went back from his loan and we never recovered from that we had like five six seasons of battling that relegation just escaping at the end and it did all spiral and I think I, I would like to think I don't speak for all Sunderland fans but I, I would like to think a lot of people agree with me that the leaving Darren Bent leaving us was the start of our downfall because we never replaced him and just spent all that money we got from him on absolute crap because we got the best part of 40 million from him and Henderson in six months and we wasted it on free transfers. Like, maybe I'm being harsh here, but Seb Larson, um, who, who did have an all right career here, but he never really set the world alight massively. Uh, Craig Gardner, who... Uh, Craig Gardner's a likeable lad, but I think we both know that you as a Villa fan, me as a Sunderland fan, he's not worth £6 million in 2009. No. Not at all. Not even worth £6 million at any point in any era. Um, and that's kind of where we had the downfall. But talking about Sunderland strikers that you've you've kind of picked up from us, it's the second time since, uh, since obviously, that, well, sorry, the first time since you've took Darren Bent, the second time you've done it in total. Technically, you've took our top scorer this season as well, Lewis <laughs> Graben. Um, not quite the same situation as Darren Bent, but um, Graben, we spoke about a few times on here. A few people have said, you know, I used to ask the question, who would you take from Sunderland? And a lot of it was Graben. And when Graben went, people go, well, I would have liked Graben, but he's gone now. So, uh, um, but Graben, obviously, I don't know the situation with Graben. What I don't know if he has to leave or, or if he was allowed to go. And I kind of I, I'm I'm very much a Graben fan, but Graben was more Mike with Sunderland, despite the fact he had twelve goals. Um how are Villa fans finding him so far? He's uh been all right. He's scored two goals for us. I think he's only made three three or so appearances. He's come in and he's done a really professional job. He tried to snatch a penalty off Robert Snodgrass in the Sheffield Wednesday game, which shows that he knows what he's about, really. Yeah. Snodgrass told him where to go. But um, yeah, I think it, I, we haven't got much to judge him off, but he's worked really hard for us. To be fair, he's uh, the kind of forward for us. He seems to press the back line, which is something we kind of needed. So we only had Keenan Davis and the poor lad was getting played for England under-20s, you know, midweek, then coming to us and playing a full 90 minutes, then playing for the under-23s. So, yeah, the poor lad needed, needed a really good rest. So, uh, Lewis Graben's kind of come in as our number nine to help Scott Hogan uh, shoot us up to promotion. And he's done an all right job. Um, I guess we'll see more of him when we play each other um, because I think he might even start. Um, yeah. We haven't really got much tape on him, unfortunately, but he's, he's done all right. I guess two goals in three games isn't that bad at all. I mean, Graben, um, you know, there was a few penalties there. And he never, the thing with the Marmite situation with Graben was a lot of people, you, you will find in Sunderland, a lot of people want the player to play out of his skin and they want him to run about everywhere and put in all the effort. That's just a Northeast thing, I think. And I think it's a lot of football clubs and working class areas want to see that because we want to be that person on the pitch that runs our bollocks off. 
And if we don't see that, we sometimes question it. And I think it wasn't so much that my opinion, and people will disagree with me, is that Graben wasn't so much that. He's quite an intelligent player. He uses his energy on the right moments. I mean, he scored 12 goals for us. And a lot of them were like unspectacular, but we've struggled. We've brought in Ashley Fletcher and we've got Asoro and Josh Madger, who, to be fair, are 18-year-old kids. It's not fair to, to, to put faith in them. But Ashley Fletcher, 21-22, yeah, still young, but he's, he's not Lewis Graben at all. He just seems to be the kind of striker that's in the right place at the right time. He scored two for you, but one of them, was one of them a penalty? Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, one of them was a penalty, uh, kind of a crappy penalty as well. He almost passed it into the middle of the net, which was quite risky when we we're 1-0 down against Preston. Hey-ho, <laughs> he did score. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's done all right. I can't, I can't fault him too much, of course. But he seemed like he's uh, kind of come in and done his job, especially after, I think, I'm not sure what happened with the situation, but I believe from what I've read, and I've read a fair bit into it for a player I, I barely have any connection to, mm-hmm. but um, it seemed like he's genuinely desperate to get a permanent contract at a club that will play him. And I think the calls were coming into Bournemouth about making a permanent move. Not Bournemouth, yeah, but it was Bournemouth he, he played for, uh, about making a permanent move. Um, so obviously he had to cancel his loan deal at Sunderland and the permanent move actually never happened. So I think that's from what I can gather of that. But I think there's been plenty of discussion about him just walking into Sunderland and kind of cancelling his accommodation and walking to Bournemouth. So the truth is going to be somewhere in between, I guess. Um, I think he did really well for Sunderland. He, he did well enough to put himself in a shop window, I guess. Yeah. Those, those goals must have helped somewhere along the line. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with grabbing, I think I think the way I take it is, and, and the story that I've heard, and we've all got different versions yeah. of, the, of the story, and it'll come out in 10 years' time probably, but um, I think as far as I'm aware, the story I've heard is that Graben had six months to go on his contract with us. He got himself into a position where, you know, Cardiff were looking at him, Wolves were looking at him, you were looking at him. He wasn't wanted at, Birmingham, uh, at uh, Bournemouth, obviously, um, and I think when he, you hit him 30, you want to go and earn a contract at a place that might play you in the Premiership or might get towards you know promotion to the Premiership, which Cardiff, Wolves and Villa all kind of tick the boxes for that. Comes to the end of the season, he's, he's not he's not going to sign for us because we don't have the money. Even if we went on a really good run and stayed up and he wanted to stay, we don't have the money that they would ask for grabbing, which yeah. would probably be about six million where Villa, Cardiff, Wolves all obviously do. Um, and I think he's got full right to, to earn that contract. I think he, he did well for us. And I think anyone who criticises Graben for being lazy, well, you know, take his 12 goals away. Where would we be? Yeah, I think he has every right to earn that money because, you know, what happens, you know Sunderland can't sign him. What happens if he's form? You know, who's in a purple patch? What happens if his form falls off the, you know, complete face of the earth? Then you're not wanted by Cardiff at the end of the season. You're going to be wanted like by Rochdale rather than Wigan Blackburn. You know, you don't, you're not going to earn the money that you want to kind of set you up for the rest of your life. And it sounds silly because he's earned, you know, obviously boatloads playing for, well, not even playing for Bournemouth. But you, you know, you want to set yourself up and earn a, you know, that one last paycheck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you'll get it at Villa. I'm not, I'm really not sure he's the type of player we'll end up actually signing, but uh, he's here for some reason. So I guess we'll see how it pans out. I think one thing I really, really wanted to ask you about, um, one thing I think, the way Sunderland are at the moment, I don't think it takes a rocket science to work out where we've gone wrong and, and who is really to blame for whether whether it's his fault or not in terms of he's actually wanting to do it. There's been malicious and maliciously wrong decisions. I, I don't think so. But Ellis Short is obviously, it's come to the point where neither of us want each other. He's absent where we've got no money. We've been completely stripped. I think, I don't like Ellis Short. I've been really angry at him for the past few months, I think, but you know, I'm, 
in hindsight, not hindsight, in to try and be a little bit fair on him, I don't think he intended to get it wrong. I don't think anyone does. And that really, really reminds me of a person that you'll be aware of, obviously Randy Lerner. Of course. Um, very, very similar situation. Came in promising the world to an extent, or at least that he wanted to get us here and there and everywhere. And, you know, he still testifies that he wants to get us in the top seven of the premiership. Like, it's not going to happen. He's made the wrong decisions in the same way Randy Lerner did. Um, and I think we've seen with Villa last season the problems that you that you had, despite the fact they had new owners and things like that. But how much of a new lease of life can a new owner give you when you've been through the a period where an owner just hasn't worked like ours is because we're, we're gagging for someone to take us over and just put us somewhere steady and make the football enjoyable again. Well, it's really important to have a leader. And, you know, you imagine playing your games without any kind of focal leadership point on the pitch. It's almost like that if you don't have a solid chairman who isn't going to show up and set the rules. You know, if you have a chairman who is absent, what's going to get, who you know, what's the structure, who's making the decisions, who's in charge? Do the players care? Because it's really, if apathy is toxic and it, it, it is infectious, if uh, an owner doesn't care about the football club, the fans will start to, you know, not care about the football club. And you can say all you want about how staying away from a football game is the biggest protest you can make, but that's, you know, it's bollocks. Because you stay away, this club just stagnates and dies. You haven't done anything, you know, the, the protest isn't there, the chairman can't sell. Apathy is infectious. And if an, an owner's not there, if the owner's to love or goals for the club have died and they can't get rid of it or they can't sell or they don't want to sell um, it's a really really horrible situation I really do feel for Sunderland because it almost looks like you've had Brandy Lerner had a genuine love for Aston Villa and you can see that in his leaving statement the, the language he uses when he speaks about Aston Villa you know I don't think you could make that up you know that couldn't be just a PR puff piece it comes yeah. from the heart I don't think Ellis Short has that at all for Sunderland I'm not, you know, the, the ownership around Sunderland seems completely, utterly random. Like, you know, a bloke's just come in, bought the club, had delusions of glory. It's gone wrong because he's, you know, he knows nothing about football. He hasn't put the right structure in charge. He's paid out 80 grand a week contracts to people who've just fell off the back of Man City. He gets relegated. <laughs> exactly well. Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. Completely. Because I think it's a smart idea to hand Micah Richards and Jack Rodriguez contracts. If you're not going to cut it at Man City, how, how why are you going to cut it at Sunderland or Aston Villa? Yeah, no, like you're stuff right. like that. And that's not not to say that these people are terrible people. They make bad decisions and they try and fix them by making even you know poorer decisions. Uh, but it's it's just the apathy. To be completely honest, uh, when it when it's done, it's done. And as much as it stings, all you got to do is shop. And uh, voice your frustration, support your club and, and see what can be done because we've been there and it seems like your situation is a lot worse than us because you're on the precipice of like League One and it's not like this is a footballing... League One isn't like a footballing hellhole. Yeah, sure, you won't be going to Wolverhampton. You'll be going to or, you know, Wigan, Blackburn, Shrewsbury. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not an abyss. Uh, it could be. It certainly could be. But it also, you know... We found new lease of life in the championship. What's not, you know, what's to say that Sunderland don't find new lease of life in League One? As bad as it sounds, it's the you got to rid yourself. You got to almost cleanse yourself of the apathy, the toxicity, and find out what it means to support Sunderland again without it being frustrating and without it being misery. Because that's what it was like for us. We were getting, you know, both of us were getting slapped around at the bottom of the Premier League for so long. It's not fun. It really isn't fun, especially when we're beating up on each other. Because one team that's doing crap, yeah, we won three points against you. We're not even going to get save save ourselves from relegation. Um, the apathy, it's killer. 
it really is killer. And I really, when I see the you know post on Roker, Roker report, and you know, you, you, it's stuff I was writing two or three years ago. It, yeah. It's the same stuff. You've got an owner who's come in, says what he will, probably has a heart of gold, and he really thinks he's done the right thing, but he, it's a colossal fuck up. Yeah, you've nailed it. It happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah. And you've just got to hold your hands up and say, yeah, I don't hate anyone. I'm not angry about the situation. This happens. You know, it happens in business. You see massive businesses collapse and fail. You see all people go into creative endeavors with all the belief in the world that this will work and it don't work. You go into relationships and, you know, the one day she's the love of your life, the next day, it, well, why have I chose to marry this person? Yeah. You know, we make bad decisions all the time and I don't think you can blame Ellis Short for being human. I think what you can blame him for is not doing the right thing. And, you know, you have to see a project like Sunderland through, whether you're handing it off to someone else or whether you're manning the ship yourself. Um, with Randy Lerner, there was a difference because his apathy stems from a massive public bitter divorce that he went through as one of America, America's most high-profile businessmen. And of course, the Lerner family, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, he went in for a massive high-profile divorce and essentially disappeared after that divorce went through. Oh, and uh, yeah, no one, you know, the the news didn't hear from him. Villa didn't hear from him. Uh, you know, apart from the odd statements where he handed off to a you know a chief executive officer. But I don't see that with Ellis Short. Um, I think there's a lot of cynic cynicism we can have about Ellis Short being that it seems just business with him. Um, Randy Lerner had an established connection to Aston Villa, having been a supporter of the club. Uh, during his education in England. Um, I'm not sure about that with Ellis Short, which uh, that, that's one thing that worries me because you have an ap- apathetic owner. It's almost worse than having a malicious owner. You know, I think, you know, in a sense, you, you used the word apathy. And I think if anyone, if you would ask the majority of fans at Sunderland, what, what is the overall feeling of the last sort of two years that ap- apathy or apathetic would be the, the word used? And I think, in short, the question I would want to ask you, because the worry that we all have is that Ellis Short is not going to be able to sell this. No one wants it. If Randy Lerner hadn't gone, where do you think Villa would be? I'm not. I really I'm, I, Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it genuinely does because, you know, Randy Lerner could be me, someone who loves a club, owns a club, something happens in their life and the club isn't the most important thing, rightly. Yeah, of course. But then you've got the weight of millions of people who follow the club worldwide on you and you have to make the right decision constantly. I guess, yeah, it, it would be. It would be almost exactly the same. I think I don't... I, one thing I have to testify is that Ellis Short really has stabbed Sunderland by not con- making any contingency plans for relegation. Yeah. Whilst we, you know, we cut Michael Richards' wage bill in half, thank God. You know, you know, I do like the guy, but he was earning seventy grand a week in the Premier League. Thank, thankfully, he's only on thirty-five grand a week now. You know, with relegation clauses, so there's there is blessing there. Whereas you guys, Jack Rodwell's contract is the kind of thing that will send you straight to administration. Yeah, basically, that's that's, that's the truth, and it's it's horrible. I mean, I do think there'll be a situation where he does leave. I do think you know there'll be a situation where you, you're not looking at that, but you you. you I can't understand how so you know your club has survived relegation for the skin of its teeth so long, so admirably fought so hard, and no one's really looked at it and go, hang on, if we buy a player, maybe we need to plan for relegation because it is you know it's a possibility, and it, that's the type of decisions that doom you. And it just seems like it's all not. I don't want to like say it's on the cards for something because it isn't. It's not at all. Things can change. 
but it's the apathy, the lack of foresight, and the lack of planning. And it's it it, it goes down, it bleeds down as as much as I like Chris Coleman, and I think he's doing a decent job at Sunderland. I think he's turned you. You guys didn't look like a football team at the start of the year, but now you seem to be some kind of football team. You've picked up twenty eight points. Relegation isn't a foregone conclusion. Yeah, so I think you can disagree. Yeah, exactly. You can. I think there might be Sunderland fans who definitely disagree with me, and I haven't watched your team much this season, but it seems a lot more positive now than it was, which is ridiculous. It almost feels ridiculous for me to say. Um, so, yeah, I think we could have been you guys. I think we could have been exactly the same, making un- uninspired hires, uh, doing the, making wrong decisions, paying the wrong people, and being in a real state, to be honest, because it doesn't matter who you have or who's on the pitch. The apathy bleeds down. Yeah, you're right. You could have 11 world beaters. It wouldn't matter. I can guarantee you the players are probably trying the best they can. It doesn't look like that, though, because the apathy just bleeds down. If you, you, How can you buy into a cause like Sunderland? You're so bang on with that. And I think it's probably because you've experienced the same thing. I remember when we beat you 3-1 on, I think it was New Year's Day or, or the last yeah. day. I remember just watching your players. And I remember just seeing like Richards and fucking Julian Lescott like just kind of sitting on the floor when the second goal went in and it, it wasn't so much or maybe it was the third one that Defoe scored and it wasn't so much that they just looked so like oh here we go again and it feels like our players since Allardyce has gone have that kind of here we go again demeanour and there's a lot of people who are saying you know maybe if you go down to League One we can cleanse our team of these, I'm going to be honest, I think that they're weak losers. Like you've got to have, you know, if you want to give me 10 grand a week, I think I'll, I'll, I'll certainly try hard, like I'm sure they are. But I think I'll have a bit more about myself as well. They just seem to be so resigned to losing. But I think you're right, it, it's bled down right from the top. If you've got an owner that doesn't give a flying fuck, how the hell's anyone else meant to give a shit? Do you know what I mean? If you go to work and your boss doesn't give a shit and your boss just says, yeah, do what you want, you know, tell the customers to fuck off if you want, not bothered you're not really going to feel inspired. Like as much as we all hate our managers nagging, we like to have an idea of what our day is going to be like in our work and life. Do you know what I mean? So how can we expect the the CEO to feel positive about something? I mean, I don't like Martin Bain, don't get me wrong, but it's bleeding down from Ellis Short to Martin Bain, Martin Bain towards Chris Coleman, Chris Coleman towards the players, the players towards the youth team. And all of a sudden, the entire place becomes like just a cesspit of shite and unhappiness and, ap- and apathy. Whereas if you come into a team, I was speaking to Chris Macon the other day, interviewed Chris Macon, who was obviously part of one of our best teams. And he was saying when he came to the football club, everything was positive. He's like, you know, we all worked hard, but we all wanted to be there. Like um, the manager, like Peter Reid was good. Uh, he was always positive. The youth team were top of the league. The reserve team were top of the league. The under-19s were top of their league. We were top of the championship or what was the nationwide division one then. And everything around the place was just the confidence. And when you got the fans behind you, and he was saying, you know, there was no great formula to it. Basically, what it was, was just everyone was on the same page and everyone was like dying for the next game because they wanted to go out and get those fans behind them and beat them and, and the team that they were playing. And if you look now, it, it is the opposite. And I know a lot of the players get a lot of vitriol, like they, they do. And I, I give a lot to people like John O'Shea. I've given a lot of Lee Catam all this season. But you're probably right in what you're saying. All this apathy and this I don't give a shit is bleeding right from the top all the way down because you don't... How many of those players know they're going to be there? Because if if that owner changes, what's to say the manager doesn't change? If the manager's going to change, what's to say the players aren't wanted? There's so many reasons why it might not work. 
but it all just come from the top. And I've, I tried to find different reasons that the player's not good enough for this, and the other. And there's elements of it, of course. There's definitely elements of lack of quality and lack of character in the team. Definitely, definitely that. But has that been from years of just being like absolutely buggered down the bottom of the Premiership and now the Championship? You've got to ask yourself that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if... I don't, it's, it's more so the apathy because Marouane Fellaini for Man United, you can't tell me he has loads of character or tries really hard, but he's, you know, he's playing for Man United on, you know, bottom of the championship or Man United won't get really, you know, in Villa's position. Um, It's just a pure apathy. It does, you know, I don't like to point fingers at fans ever, but when you're, you know, I've booed my team, you know, I've been, I've not booed my, I've been in a position where the fans are booing their team. I've, I've booed certain players and it's almost this, it doesn't help as much as you want to release it. Don't you like, you need to, it's really difficult to say because I've been there. I've completely been, I've been bottom of the championship, like, but we've been there in these app of really horrific moments where you don't know what to do and you just feel so much anger. But I think you've just got to back, you've really got to just back the team because that's all that is really. You, you're there to back the team. I don't know if we we go to football matches expecting three points every week. I mean, we expect a bit of effort, I guess. I mean, that might be the big problem at Sunderland. It's just we want to see that physical or that visible reward. Just want to see someone run for 90 minutes, I guess. But it, you've just got to back the team. It's as, as stupid as it sounds. The apathy, you can't let it get to you because you're there to, you know, watch your boys play, whether it was at Roker Park in the past or at the stadium, or like, now you're there to watch the boys play. Um, that's all it was. It wasn't about wins or loses or draws, and I know it, how shit it is. I know how terrible it is, but you've got to take it right back to the basics of what football is about, see if you can get people down the stadium and see if you can make some, you know, the fight comes from the fans. Don't ever get that like twisted that it doesn't. Don't ever think you don't have a role in football because what I've seen at Aston Villa is vocal, you know, sometimes Villa Park's quiet. I get that. Sometimes there's no atmosphere. Sometimes it's dead. It was dead against you guys when you guys come. Um, yeah. you, it was You guys were making all the noise. It's not like that most of the time now. We did have a dead match against Preston, but we are the, there's a vocal backing, a vocal appreciation of these players. And they, they are deserving of it. I don't think Sunderland's are, but you have to almost fake it to make, you know, once you <laughs> once it's there, it's not going to, once you back them, regardless of what's happening, I mean, it can't get any, I guess I say it can't get any worse than this, but we've both heard that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Make you, You've <laughs> got to make it, it sounds stupid, you've got to make your own fun from it because we've been, we were crap last season and we weren't, again, your situation's worse. And, I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm slacking off, you know, shitting on your team. Cause I, I know how terrible it is. You've got, to make, you've got to make your own fun. You've got to, you've re, when we when Newcastle come to us on the last day of the season, we were already down, and we knew we could bring them down. And we f- had inflatables in the air. We had everything going on, and just make a fist of it. Make is a fist. We, is that when we beat Chelsea three two and they drew nil nil at your place? That was yeah. a good day. Yeah, that was, that was the last brilliant. time. I, I, I really had like a. I'm so pleased. I'm a Sunderland fan right now. No, <laughs> it was exactly. such a good day. And so it's a good day. What what pride is there in having a nil nil draw against a team you barely care about? Except yeah. you know we don't like Newcastle. We you know we they, they they hate <laughs> us more than we we just have really nothing to do with them. They really dislike us. Um, they're easy to laugh at. They're easy to laugh at, and you probably see them for what we see them as. And uh, we you know that was a that was a good day. The both times that you effectively 
uh, relegate, well, you relegate them last day of the season when we celebrated, but we didn't really do much towards that. Obviously, we did the job against Chelsea and Everton, but you got to know the draw against them as well. And that was, uh, I've got to be honest, that was a bloody good day. I got a crack in the head, but off uh, one of our writers actually that day, Tom Walsh, when Defoe scored the winner. And it took me a, a good couple of hours to kind of come round to realise that I hadn't actually broken it. But, you know, I haven't done that for a while, but maybe tomorrow, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, you just get you just you know you just make fun of it. I, what my best day at Villa was in the whole end when we were just having a laugh. You know, the second it was in the air on seventy four or something, and everyone kept these balloons, streamers, confetti, uh, pyro, anything in their pocket until the seventy fourth minute, and then it exploded. And that's what made the geezer Tony Shaw who we bought our team really interesting buying us because he just saw us having so much fun and that is single-handedly the best day I've ever had at Villa Park was when we were going down and Newcastle came to town I don't see why it can't be like that at the Stadium of Light it's a massive stadium with a vicious very vocal fan base I I see the apathies there but you've got to there's plenty of supporter groups that can get together and make yourselves heard you know, it doesn't have to be this terribly negative thing. League One doesn't have to be the end of the world because you're two promotions from the Premier League. You know, it's not. Yeah, you know, very true. You've just got to think of it basically, and then just strip it. I've said, just strip it back, back the team. Get you can remove the apathy yourselves. It doesn't have to come from the. You know, that you don't have to simply have a new owner come in. You can make the club a, a really good. It sounds stupid giving you guys a job. You know, like you're not paying for tickets. No, I kind of get it though. I do kind of get it. Like, I, I think you're right. There's, there's been, like, the, the whole place is like dead when I go to the stadium. Like, now, I, I travel from from Glasgow, which you know, there's people that travel a lot further, but you, you do have a little bit more time when you're, uh, and I say in inverted commas, an exile, to kind of think about the day you've had, and you can go back home and you can reflect on the journey down and that hope you felt and come back. And it's been a long while since I've came back from the stadium light or an away game and gone really pleased. I went there today. The atmosphere was good. I had a laugh. It was, it's kind of the laughs, not the three, three o'clock or quarter to, to, to five. And, and and it is like, there's not even anger at times. There's like, sometimes we argue amongst ourselves and it is that general feeling of apathy. And I think you're right. You know, the one thing Sunderland fans have got in abundance is, dark humour and an ability to laugh at ourselves and, and take the piss and I just don't feel there's been enough of that and I think maybe we maybe that's what we need like just to have a laugh back the team at the end of the day what else are we going to do we're not going to deflect there's plenty of people that say no I should support non-league and all that they'll be back we know they'll be back like because someone's it's in your blood it's who you're born with it's I'm someone through and through and I always will be no matter which division we're in Um, I'll always bleed red and white many people will say exactly the same. So we might as well go and try and enjoy it. We can't change it. We can't change where things are now. We can't go back and, and not sign Jack Rodwell and not sell the club to Ella Short. We we can't. We we have to go forward and hope that together because we've got the right man in charge, maybe at the wrong time, but Coleman definitely is the right man in charge. He definitely knows the area. I definitely have a lot of belief and a lot of faith in Chris Coleman, maybe perhaps too much. But we've got a man in charge that gets the football club a man that understands what potential it has. And yeah, things might be tough, but like you said yourself, you know, if someone's looking from the outside at what something can be, maybe we'll get someone that comes in and, and kind of plows a little bit of cash and or just says, let's take it on. I mean, that's why Nell Quinn took the club. Yes, he'd played here and he understood what the stadium light and Sunderland were as a football club and how big they could be. And he couldn't sit by and see us get relegated with 15 points, bought the club, put Roy Keane in charge and all of a sudden the passion's back, the fire's back, Sunderland's back. And yeah, it didn't work out perfectly, but 
you know, sometimes I don't, but it would be nice to have some days like that back, most definitely. And I think, yeah, maybe it does have to stem from us. Maybe it does. Yeah, I mean, we laugh at Major League Soccer in America for some of the, you know, some of the mad shit we we hear them chanting. Some of the yeah. stupid. But man, I watched my first MLS game yesterday, uh, Seattle Sanders versus Los Angeles FC. And one thing I can give them credit for is those Seattle fans s- stood up and sang the entire match, even though they were getting trashed. And they, they barely did anything of note. I, you, you don't get relegated in MLS. You don't, you know, you don't fold or go into administration. Your team might get moved. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot to learn in the fact that people are there for the experience and literally ripping into the other team, no matter, even if they're getting beaten by them. Uh, saying can you hear that can you hear them sing no no can you hear the fuckers sing no i can't hear a fucking thing even though they're singing louder than them and beating them so it's you've just got to you know i think sunderland has it there to be this force it really does it you know you might not be top seven premier league you might you might just be yo-yoing between the premier league and the championship you might just be an upper tier championship team but it's better than this is you know yeah, any, anything's better than this you know even just being in the champ mid table in the championship and having a packed stadium of like roaring the team on is better than this and you can't let newcastle have that you know that quote unquote glory of being the, the big supported team in the northeast because they're not it's it, it's not the same that they've had so much forced initiative to support the club when it weren't in trouble you know they brought the flags out when they were doing good that's so good, but do bring the flags out when you're doing bad. I'd like to see Sunderland get one yeah. up, one up, one up them. Bring, bring, that, bring, bring the flags out when you're uh, you're not spending eighty million pound in the fucking championship. The bastards. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. It's about, you know, back your team with you know vicious support. And I think yeah. you know you guys have a lot to prove. And I think you know this is make or break. And I'd really, really look to see Sunderland give us a massive game, and especially be very loud. I mean, it's a bit too late for people to listen to this by tickets, I guess. Um, but turn up on the door and uh, maybe in the future I'd like, you know, get those attendances up and, you know, you just don't sit and look at it like you're rewarding your owner or the football club. Look at it like you're, you're back in Sunderland regardless. Yeah, no, I agree with yes. that 100%. I think you're bang on with that, mate. I think you're absolutely bang on. Um, so just to kind of finish off, I guess, I always have to, I don't always have to finish off on the same thing, but it kind of makes sense. What's your prediction for tomorrow's game? How do you see it going? Um, unfortunately, I can't. I wouldn't. I won't be giving Sunderland a win, mate. If you've only got five, <laughs> but then the, the Villa meltdown is always on the card. So you know, it's, it's Steve Bruce, isn't it? Um, I'm going to go for two-one Aston Villa, and I think you'll give us a really good. You gave us a really good game at Villa Park last time. To be fair, um, I think we do have a bit of quality in midfield. I think it's going to beat Honeyman and Catamol. Unfortunately, um, we got Hurahan Bjarnason. Snodgrass. I think we, there's just too much quality in our team, unfortunately, and there is a, yeah. a, a toxic apathy around Sunderland. And you do have to take you, we have to take this situation as it unfolds. And unfortunately, take them three points off you. Um, but if you are going to beat us, mate, I will say please don't get relegated. Actually, make some use of those three. <laughs> if you're going to re- ruin our season, just make some use of those points. Try and make sure it's worth it. Well, yeah. we'll certainly try. I'll, I'll take a I'll take another draw. I think another one one. Um, I quite, I quite fancy us. We've been all right the past few games. Yeah, defensively poor. And in my heart of hearts, I know Villa have way too much quality for us. But 
the crowd were good against Borough. Why not? You know, under the lights, stadium light on a Tuesday night. We, yeah, we can, we can push you. I think. I think we can. We're better than what we what we say we are, and we need to start picking up points. We need wins. Realistic, we need wins. But whether we get them or not, I, I, I don't know. But I think, yeah, I'll, I'll take us for a draw. I'll try and be a bit more positive than usual. But um, thanks very much for coming on, mate. I think it's been a really good chat. I think um, you've been through probably what we're going through at the moment. Maybe similar the same you've come out the other end of it and you've had some really nice words to say about something and I've, I've got to be honest it's always nice to hear when someone kind of understands our football club and hates them a lot as much as we do so happy to, happy <laughs> to man happy to um I think Sunderland have always been their first football match I watched on TV with Sunderland I think so yeah uh I've always got a kind of soft spot for Sunderland and uh I think it's a shame seeing what you guys have went through I I'd laugh if it was Newcastle. I think it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, so, well, since you relegated them twice, yeah, you're kind of my second team now. And again, <laughs> fair play. I'm <laughs> loving that. Fair play. Spot on. Well, thanks very much, mate. Are you going to the match tomorrow? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, I've got to wake up for work in the next morning. It's a long so, trek, yeah, midweek. It's a bit long, isn't it? Yeah, a bit tasty, yeah. that one is. Bit for mid- midweek, I'll let you off for that one. But um, I, I always end this the same. As much as the chat's been really, really lovely, really, really positive, I hope you have a horrible Tuesday. I hope we absolutely stuff you. Um, but good luck for the rest of the season. I don't like Steve Bruce, but, you know, Villa I've got a lot of time for. So good luck for the rest of the season, pal, and thanks for coming on. Oh, you too. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers, James. Catch you later. So that's the end of episode, uh, I don't know, whatever, uh, 15 or some, something like that. Really positive, nice positive chat, that. Really, really good. I think there's a lot of similarities between us and Villa, mainly the way we've been relegated. Uh, the the owner situation, uh, yeah, we've had our kerfuffles with the Darren Bent situation and all that kind of stuff and whatnot as well. But as tested to before, as much as I don't like talking about them, Villa did help relegate the Max twice. So I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. We've got on them for that. Um, but yeah, really lovely to hear someone understand what we're going through and hope that we get out of it because, you know, I think sometimes when a club's suffering like ours is, you know, football fans of other clubs, maybe outside of the region who are of similar size, understand what we're going through and especially Villa fans with kind of the problems they had with their ownership a beat ever so slightly different. Um, but yeah, let's be positive. You know, we've got some cup finals coming up. I said this on the last podcast. Yeah, we didn't win against Millwall. Um, that was one of the cup finals, but uh, tonight under the lights, stadium light. We know how good some of those games have been in the past. I mean, you've only got to go back to, yeah, fair enough, 15 or so years ago, but how many times? I mean, Everton, a few seasons ago, we, we really rolled the team over the line that day and we've got a much, much bigger part to play than I think some of us realise. And I know it's hard. I know it's really hard at the moment, but, you know, will always be Sunland. That's all we've got. It's just Sunland. So just keep behind them as best you can. Support them in the way you feel is the right way to do it. And stick together because that's all we've got. We've just got each other and the team, which we're never going to walk away from. Thanks for tuning in as always. Have a good rest of the week and enjoy your Tuesday. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, 
ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.